it's the best of times in Plano, or it's the worst of times in Plano. Depending on who you ask, Plano's either a great place to live with a bright future ahead, or Plano's in a dangerous downward spiral. This most recent election, uh, really, there's a schism in Plano. We look at two prevalent but vastly different narratives of Plano and the divisiveness they've sparked. And we discover another source of political conflict in Plano. You're either a bobcat lover or a bobcat hater. That's our Plano curiosity. And finally, we meet a Plano character, someone we can all agree is doing great work in our community. I mean, when November hits, then our um, phones ring off the wall. Welcome to Plano Podcast, tales of curiosity and character. I'm your host, Tammy Hooker. And I'm producer Mary Jacobs. We're glad you found our little on-air hangout with stories from inside of Plano and just outside of what you might expect. In Plano, there are two tales of one city. Depending on who you ask, it's the best of times or the worst of times for Plano. Residents seem to be caught up in one of two narratives, and they're completely different. One side says, Plano's a great place to live and work, positioned for an even better future. The other side says, Plano's on a downward spiral. The city is losing its suburban character, and we're getting the same urban problems that plague big cities. Contrast the two narratives in social media, and it's hard to believe people are talking about the same city. Here are some quotes we've collected from Facebook and Nextdoor. Wow. Money Magazine has called Plano a corporate center with a small town vibe and named us number three on the list of best places to live in America. Well, it may be okay today, but Plano is in decline. Just look at the schools. So many are Title I now. It's sad. What decline? Niche.com gave Plano an A-plus for public schools and an A-plus for families. Proud to call Plano my home. I hate the direction Plano is going. It was a bedroom community and was supposed to stay one. Now it's getting big city problems. Crime is exploding. Crime is exploding? Are you kidding? Business Insider just named Plano the safest city of its size in America. The taxes are getting so high. The traffic is so bad. All this is stressing me out. Well, you must be the only one because Wallet Hub just found Plano to be one of the least stressed out cities in the country. What do they know? Just look at how the east side of Plano is going downhill. It looks like a border town. Well, then why did the Dallas Morning News just name Plano the third best neighborhood? Wait a minute. You wait a minute. You're not considering. I am considering. Have you read the latest publication? You're nuts. Okay, so that's a dramatization. But in the last local election in Plano, we saw shouting matches at the polls. Angry debates that dominated next door and families fighting over the dinner table. But here's the question that fascinates us. What is all this bitter disagreement doing to Plano? 
engaged citizens, and lively debate are good things. But what if the divisiveness has more power to harm than help either political stance? We invited two experts on political conflict to weigh in. Vinny Minchillo, uh, run an advertising agency called Glasshouse Strategy in Plano, Texas. In Plano, we, we are polarized, and that's kind of a new thing for Plano. I, I've always thought Plano was a, a hopelessly functional government. You go to a city council meeting, everybody seems to get along nicely and everything gets done. So, uh, you know, it, it's always been not polarized. Um, but this most recent election, uh, really, there's a schism in Plano now, and it's, and it's fascinating to watch. Uh, and certain people are taking advantage of it and certain people are making money off of it. Um, but it's kind of an uncomfortable place to be. We had candidates who were uh, divided by an issue. And in this case, it was apartments. And then you had third parties from both sides pouring in what I think is a comical amount of money. In the world of politics, and I think in the world of anything, there's really only two things to sell. And that's fear and hope. And so in Plano, you really saw that in the last city council election. And, and you know, the hope people are, you know, the folks going, hey, this this plan works and this is the future of Plano and, and we're going to be able to we're going to be able to do this. And the fear folks, you know, they came out and said, hey, that Plano you bought into when you moved here and bought that house. That's not what we're doing now. Remember hope and fear. We'll be coming back to that. But first, for another view, we called on an expert in dispute resolution at SMU in Plano. My name is John Potter. I'm an associate professor at Southern Methodist University in the Annette Simmons Caldwell School of Education and Human Development. In my world, the topic that we're discussing is called polarization. It's my group of people against your group of people. And in polarization, our identities are so entwined in our positions that we can almost intuitively recognize people who are not in our group by even the words they say, the positions they might take, the nuances that they might use in conversation. We know whether they're in our group or in the other group. The problem with that is there is no conversation between the groups then. The good news? Recent conflicts have energized many more citizens to vote and turn up to city council meetings. The bad news? It can bring out the worst in us. We're really smart people. We're really good people. Uh, we don't kick the dog when we get home. We're good people. And I've got to tell you, um, in the nearly 30 years I've been doing this, there are no good people when it comes to conflict. Conflict brings out the very worst in us. Uh, we will do things we're ashamed of doing. We will do things that we regret doing. Uh, nobody gets a free pass uh, when it comes to conflict. I saw a lot of very angry talk in social media and among people. And on one hand, it sort of warms the cockles of my heart because people are involved. Uh, on the other hand, I, I wish we'd all be a little nicer about it. Uh, and, and, that's, and that may just be the political world we live in. It's not just ugly. It's affecting our ability to function as a city. When like-minded people get together, they automatically become more extreme. So what happens is you see gridlock where nothing happens. And then the result of that is that everyone's angry. So instead of having half the population angry or one group angry, you have everyone angry. Now everything's going to be a fight. 
Everything is going to be a fight. And there's some interesting fights to look at. I mean, there's, you know, there's obviously this apartment multifamily versus single family fight. We've got the, hey, we're, we're all going to fight with the North Texas Municipal Water District fight. And we've got, uh, you know, the traffic fight. We've got all the, you know, well, what, what about Frisco? What about this? So we, we've now everything is kind of boiling down into fights. It feels very Dallasy to me. The best thing that can result from polarization is that the parties still disagree and still have lots of conflict between them. But at least they know it and they come together and talk about it. The problem of polarization is nobody talks. Remember those two motivators, hope and fear? Benny Mancello sees both at work in our current political divide and says we need to put fears in perspective. In politics, at least recently, you know, fear is the easier story to tell, very easy, succinct story to tell. On the hope side, it's, well, look, we're developing it. It's a new way of lifestyle and living, and, and it's a much softer and, and nuanced story. So it's easier to tell the pitchfork story than the, this is all going to be great in the long run story. Right now, fear is a far easier thing to sell. It's a lot easier to get somebody to pick up a pitchfork and a torch and go storm the castle because they think that the life that they bought into is not going to be here anymore. So the hope side needs to get on their horse. And they have got to educate people and convince people that what they want to do is the right thing for the long term. They've got to make people feel good about this change. It's all about generating hope. And in this case, it's a little harder to generate hope. And, and, but they've, they've got some great facts on their side. I mean, people's home values are going up. People call us once a week and go, gee, can we buy your house? And, you know, so the hope side, they just got to do a better job of it. And they've got to do a more modern job of it. And they've got to do a more aggressive job of it. Another consideration. Plano has changed dramatically in the last few years, and it's going to continue to change. That's inevitable. But change often brings upheaval. And in the old days, Plano had a brand. And you'd move your family to Plano because you wanted a, a good value on a home and you wanted to send your kids to a good school. Now, we have got to reinvent the Plano brand and redefine that Plano brand and before it becomes the place where everybody fights over whether we should build apartments or not. And that's really up to our leaders. They have got to they have got to to recognize that that fear that people have is real, and they've got to understand that our brand has changed. So we have got to redefine that and put that into words that people understand and people are proud of, and people want to be a part of it. Maintaining our suburban character needs to be defined, and probably needs to be redefined for where we live now. And and that's people have not done a good enough job of that. So it's a lot easier to throw rocks than, than to throw, throw rocks than to build something. So what can each of us do about it? Instead of arguing, which doesn't work when people are entrenched, John Potter suggests listening and asking questions. In my own work, I'm often asked, what can I do? And so here's a really valuable insight. It took me years and years and years to learn. I want to spend about twice as much time on the other side's arguments than on my own. Because I know my own arguments, but I don't know theirs. And if I dismiss them outright, I might risk missing something really important that we both could agree on. So there's a simple idea. If I'm in one group and you're in the other group, I want to spend about twice as much of my time reading the news, considering policy on your side as I do my own. When I feel really strongly about something or I feel strongly about you, I want to pause for a moment and, and allow myself to catch up to my own implicit bias. 
I should think, why do I feel so strongly about this? I may be completely misguided. I mean, I could be right, but odds are I'm misguided and I'm just doing something that I've been doing without even questioning it. Plano has a, a really interesting opportunity uh, to be a leader and to be a model uh, in modern society. Um, there are two ways this can go. We can make it worse. Again, it's really easy to make things worse. Uh, you can be meaner, you can drive faster, you, you can, you know, there are all kinds of things that you can do to make, make life worse. But on the other hand, to make it better, to actually make an effort to make things better, that that leads, that's leading, that's not following. It's really easy to follow the other people and make things worse. But it takes real courage to stand up and make things better. And if you want to be remembered in this world, it's great to be remembered for making things better. The first person who gets to we wins. Food for thought, Plano residents. And our thanks to Anne-Marie Newman and Dean Keith of North 40 Storytellers who provided the dramatic reenactment of the social media commentary. Are you enjoying this episode of Plano Podcast? If so, you can join our growing list of patrons. Visit planopodcast.com and click on the support tab for more information. Now, back to the show. Next, our tale of curiosity. What do you do when you and your neighbors start spotting a lot of bobcats in the neighborhood? If you're Plano resident John McNair, you start a Facebook page. I was seeing a lot of bobcats in my own neighborhood, and uh, I noticed that there was no platform online for people to share pictures and uh, stories on Plano bobcats, so I decided to create a page. John is a resident of Plano and the creator of the Plano Bobcat Sightings Facebook page, our Plano podcast curiosity. It's a place where residents can post photos and videos of bobcats spotted in their yards and neighborhoods throughout the city. Already, the page has garnered 700 likes and made one TV appearance. Created it about two years ago, and uh, it just grew organically. Um, I haven't done any paid advertising or anything just because we're not selling anything. It's just a, a platform to people uh, to share photos and stories. I've got a, a family ranch in South Texas, so I kind of grew up around wildlife. It felt a little bit like home. Here's what we love about the page. The cover photo features a giant bobcat perched atop a Plano water tower. I figured that the uh, the page would grow organically if, if it had some kind of uh, main image that people could identify with. So uh, I figured, well, why not Photoshop a picture of a bobcat on top of the Plano water tower? Unfortunately, Plano's bobcats have been in the news recently. They do occasionally attack pets. But John says there aren't actually more bobcats roaming the city than usual. Development that's encroaching upon their habitat, so uh, we're not seeing more of them. Um, their, their numbers remain stable and have been over the last decade, I believe. Um, the reason we see more of them is just because development's going on inside their habitat, and uh, they don't have any other place to go. They can attack humans. Uh, if they're confronted, you've, if you corner them, normally they're going to want to get out of the the area if they see a human uh, but if they're cornered then uh, they'll defend themselves they, they have big pointy teeth and sometimes they're not friendly you don't need to live next to a wooded area to see bobcats in your neighborhood 
They've been sighted throughout Plano. You get them right smack smack dab in the middle of developments. Uh, anywhere there's a food source, that's where you'll find bobcats. So, uh, um, yeah, anywhere there's where there's green manicured yards and rabbits, that's where bobcats will be also because they're the next thing up in the food chain. They enjoy rabbits. It seems like um, opossums, uh, squirrels, and uh, small birds if they can get their hands on them. Um, rarely do they uh, try to go after a cat or a dog or that sort of thing. That's kind of a last resort food source. And believe it or not, even bobcats can spark political division in Plano. John sees two sharply divided camps among people commenting on the Facebook page. You're either a bobcat lover or a bobcat hater. Uh, that's the way it seems. Some people just want to... Uh, you know, foster their growth and encourage habitat and that sort of thing. And then the other people just want them dead. So wherever you land on the great Plano Bobcat debate, there are a few steps we can all take to coexist with these feral felines. Don't leave uh, exposed food sources outside. So like your garbage, you want to put that in the trash can. Uh, don't leave bags of garbage outside because they'll be drawn to that as a food source. So, um, just being smart and uh, don't leave pets outside unattended. And in case you're wondering, bobcats don't meow. It's more of a, a growl. <laughs> <laughs> We've looked at some of the issues that divide us in Plano. Politics, bobcats. But here's someone who unites us toward one goal, serving those in need. Meet Cheryl Action Jackson, the founder of Minnie's Food Pantry in Plano. I've been in Plano for almost 25 years now. It's home where the heart is. On April Fool's Day, 2008, we served our first meal at Minnie's Food Pantry. And we served it across the street in a little 500 square foot facility. And everybody laughed at me when I said, I'm going to open up a food pantry in Plano. Because there was this um, belief that there was no one hungry in Plano. And now, 10 years later, you know, we're serving uh, almost, you know, 1,500 families unduplicated. And it's probably about five thousand people in those families they're not all from Plano um, we believe strongly that hunger has no zip code and so you may have other pantries that say if you're living this zip code will serve you and you live in this zip code we're serving and we say if you are hungry we will serve you while many assume that Plano is largely an affluent community the need is there, Jackson says. Hunger is so prevalent everywhere. But in the city of Plano, it's kind of um, intertwined with the people who work, who um, smile during the daytime. But at the, in the evening time, these parents are coming or on Saturdays, they're coming and saying, we need a meal. You don't see very often someone on the streets with Pl in Plano that says, holding a sign that says, we'll work for food. You don't see that. What you do see, though, and what we see every day are the faces of the mothers that that, um, have two or three children that have to work two jobs and can't make ends meet or the grandmothers who are raising their grandchildren or the father who was in corporate America because there's so many corporations coming into our community but when their salaries get cut in half now they are forced to say how do we make it when you start seeing Hummers pull up with 26 inch tires and you see the man walk out with an envelope in his hand and I'd run out of my office thinking it's going to be a huge donation and the man says well, 
I mean, I got my driver's license in here and I got, you know, my, my rent and electric bill. And I said, but you got a Hummer with 26 inch rims on it. He said, yeah, and it's about to be my home. I lost my job. This Hummer is upside down, so I can't even sell it. And I'm about to lose my house and my kids will have to live in this. And so while we jump to judgment, we here at Minis have the incredible opportunity to open people's eyes about the look and feel of hunger. The face of hunger has changed. It looks like me and you. I've never turned one person away. My job is to make sure they get a healthy meal. Minnie's Food Pantry has drawn the national media spotlight to Plano with coverage as well as support coming from Oprah, The Steve Harvey Show, Ellen DeGeneres, and others. When we caught up with her recently, Jackson was gearing up for the busy holiday season. I mean, when November hits, then our um, phones ring off the wall. We're doing a giveaway with the Dallas VA. We have 900 chronically um, ill veterans that will not have a Thanksgiving meal if you can't help us. My father was a Marine. He served. I think, you know, if a person is willing to give their life and serve for me, let me serve them something as simple as a Thanksgiving meal. So our staff said, let's serve the veterans on November 16th. Let's go to them. Let's roll out the red carpet. Then on November 18th, it is the most amazing experience you could ever, ever imagine. On November 18th, the line starts at this door and it wraps around the entire building and there's not a parking space that's empty. There's DJs, there are the red carpets rolled out and people literally spend the night here waiting for something like a turkey and all the trimmings. And it's it's sad, but I'm so thankful because we have over 400 volunteers who will walk them personally to their cars, who will tell them everything's going to be okay, who will dance on the red carpet with them. And it's just really, it's, it's really so festive. You've never seen anything like it. Minnie's Food Pantry has a waiting list of people eager to volunteer. Jackson says that's because when they work at Minnie's, volunteers have fun. There's probably about three or four hundred companies um, that volunteer at Minnie's Food Pantry. And so we have been very fortunate. It means we've created a place and space where people want to volunteer. It's so incredibly fun. And it's it's fun to know that you're doing something that makes a difference, but you're having fun doing it. We serve Wednesday through Friday from eight o'clock to eleven o'clock. And then we serve the first and third Saturday at the same times. If you are feeling down today, I invite you to come and experience what giving is really about. Cheryl Jackson's words inspired us and made us proud to be part of the Plano community. We close with her words of gratitude. Hunger is all year long and not just the holidays. Just look around because there's an opportunity for you to have a good idea or a God idea moment. The grocery store, be aware of that grandmother who's pulling pennies out of her purse and trying to make that bill. And I appreciate all of the support from the city of Plano and all the surrounding areas. Minnie's Food Pantry would not be here without you. Thank you, Cheryl Action Jackson, for all you do to serve those in need in Plano and reminding all of us of the unifying gifts of service. We've reached the end of another edition of Plano Podcast, Tales of Curiosity and Character. We hope you've enjoyed today's topics and discussion. Remember to support us on Patreon and to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Send your feedback, ideas, and comments our way. Thanks for listening and subscribing. 
We'll be waiting for you at our back corner booth. Until next time.